ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us in this latest episode of Chaser um, Takeaway video interview series with an expert on a question of importance and relevance for British Army and Defence. Obviously, these are views shared between two academics and experts. They don't reflect the views of the Army or the Ministry of Defence. And today we're discussing India. Um, obviously, we have a traditional history and an attachment to India, but its geopolitical significance, its developments have been one that we've been following closely. And um, subsequent British governments have sought closer relationships with India, including the current one um, in defence, in education, in, in foreign direct investment and trade and the recent developments on the question of India and China have raised a lot of questions again about what is happening, where things might go. And today we are thrilled to have Dhruva Jayashankar, who is a leading expert on India, Indian foreign policy and its global and regional posture. Um, he was a fellow at the Brookings Institution in New Delhi, and now he's launching a new US program for the leading, leading Indian think tank, OIRF. Um, and so we are thrilled to have him and his opinions on all these matters in Unpacked. Um, Dhruva, I'm just going to ask the first question to really um, set the scene on particularly ongoing tensions between India and China. Obviously, what we have observed last week was really worrying um, the level of fatalities and escalation. Uh, we haven't seen this in more than 40 years. Um, is this the um, start of a new era in China, India relations? And what has happened? What is the natural dispute between that border that seems it hasn't settled yet for a few decades? Right. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Um, no, the India-China uh, uh, boundary conflict is actually a very complex issue. Uh, it dates back to the 1950s following China's annexation of Tibet. Uh, and uh, one of the things that the two countries found, and this is the first time China and India had been in direct, uh, you know, had a direct border between, between the two of them, uh, was that they really didn't have a very well demarcated border, that they were, this is very hostile terrain. Uh, it's high in the Himalayas. And, they, you know, the, the, the two countries hadn't quite agreed. Um, where, where the boundary lay between them. Um, there certain, some parts were somewhat demarcated, uh, mostly between uh, British um, imperial uh, uh, diplomats and Qing dynasty, uh, uh, the Qing, Qing Empire, but there were questions about how these two new countries, the People's Republic of China and the Republic of India, uh, you know, how much they accepted what they had inherited from, from these countries. So a combination of things in the 1950s led to a, a, a gradual increase in tensions on the boundary. Partly both sides were uh, pushing to um, uh, claim as much uh, territory as they could. Uh, and, uh, you know, in the 1950s, China built a road in, in, in what India considered Indian territory. And this was a very strategically important, excuse me, important road because it connected Tibet and Xinjiang, both at that time very restive re regions. Um, so I mean, a, a number of things that included uh, and as well as questions about uh, Tibet, there was an, an uprising in Tibet in the 1950s, uh, eventually led to uh, the India-China border clash of 1962. Uh, there were earlier clashes in 1959. There was, there was actually something quite similar to what we saw uh, just uh, last week. Fast forward a little bit. Um, the, the 1962 war, uh, uh, in some ways, uh, was, was a, a, a watershed event. China got the better of it, managed to claim more territory in the West, what's called the Western sector in, in Ladakh, where, where we recently saw clashes, but withdrew largely in the Eastern sector, seen, which was seen as in some ways a tacit uh, acceptance of India's positions uh, in, in that area. Um, what we saw then was a very uneasy peace, but from the 1990s onwards, starting in 92, 93, we saw India and China starting to reach a series of agreements, where, which was not about settling the uh, boundary, but how protocols as to how to behave when uh, both uh, from when the military from both sides actually uh, met each other when patrolling. 
so there was there was there were wide areas still where um, along the uh, the border which are, were still disputed, where Chinese and Indian soldiers occasionally met, but they had pro they had established a set of protocols as to what to do so as to maintain a peaceful boundary. And so the result of that is that from 1975 to 2020, you had 45 years basically where there was no bloodshed on on this boundary, despite it being a, a boundary dispute the size of Bulgaria. Uh, so it's quite a significant uh, boundary dispute. Um, what has happened in the last few years is we've seen a gradual increase of uh, number of standoffs between the Chinese and Indian military forces. 2013, there was one. Uh, 2014, 2017, there was one that was slightly more complicated because it involved Bhutan, actually. It was a China-Bhutan standoff where India intervened to uh, support Bhutanese forces, uh, effectively, uh, or Bhutanese territory. Uh, and then we've seen this one. This is basically, uh, in this year, we've seen one of the largest mobilizations uh, by the uh, PLA, the Chinese PLA, in a long time. Um, and so it's quite a, quite a serious standoff. Uh, at four points, uh, there was a sort of India-China standoff. On June 6th of this year, there was an agreement to de-escalate. Um, and actually, before I get to that, I should mention one of the reasons, we, we're not quite sure why, you know, why is China mobilizing its, its, in such strength, but one of the at least approximate reasons appears to be uh, India playing catch up in terms of its infrastructure building on the boundary. So China has, uh, since the 1990s, China has done a much better job of, of uh, being uh, road building, bridge building in this very hostile terrain. Uh, India is now playing catch up, which allows it to mobilize much faster. Air, new airstrips have, have come, uh, have been activated, for example. So uh, that may be one of the at least proximate reasons uh, for this, for this buildup. Uh, there was a standoff at four points. Um, in, on June 6th, commanders met. They decided to uh, roadmap to de-escalate. That de-escalation was taking place when on June 15th, something went wrong. They're different. Uh, the, the Chinese and Indian accounts differ as to what exactly prompted uh, this, but led to a large-scale brawl, uh, many people falling, into, uh, falling down these rocky hillsides into a, a fast-moving, very cold glacial river. Uh, and unfortunately, it has led to the deaths of 20 Indian soldiers, including one very senior officer, Colonel. Um, and and there was, the Chinese appear, appear to have accepted that there were casualties on their side, although they haven't released and are unlikely to release uh, the numbers and names of those uh, who were uh, killed and injured. Um, but in any case, this is quite significant because it's the most serious, um, uh, of, you know, for, first time we've seen a loss of life uh, like this since 1975, the worst violence since 1967. Uh, uh, when there was a when there when there was a clash between India and, and China, so um, I think that that's the sum and substance of it. Where does it go from here? I think it really has hardened public opinion in India about China, uh, but um, you know I think we'll have to see now whether the de-escalation plan, which was in progress earlier, whether that continues or not. Currently, it doesn't look very likely, but we'll, I think there'll be attempts to try and re resuscitate that. Jewel, I think it raises a really interesting question, isn't it? I mean, obviously, traditionally for Indian defense and security policies, the question of Pakistan has dominated a lot of the public discussions, a lot of right. planning. Um, and as the kind of global geopolitics are shifting, India's ambitions have also shifted, right? Mm -hmm. It's got a much more proactive, much more global and regional ambition. And now kind of more public recognition of the fact that China is a topic they have had ignored, but now actually it's back and it's very important. And and this might be a serious contender and a competition for India from now on. Um, how does this all come together in how India, uh, Indian foreign policies, foreign policy elite see the world, how it sees itself in it, in the region, and, and all these kind of gigantic geopolitical shifts that we're observing in global structures? 
Right. So, so I, I think, you know, we can see Indian foreign policy, I mean, and this is not just in recent past, but, but in the long-term past, it's having five big themes, uh, uh, or at least as, as the centerpiece of, of, of their uh, efforts. Uh, the first is internal balancing, which is, you know, India is still a um, um, developing economy, um, has a per capita, uh, in per capita income is about $2,000 uh, per person, which is still quite low. Uh, but it has been growing at a, a pretty healthy clip since the since 2000 or so. Uh, coronavirus, of course, puts a lot of that into question. I think we'll discuss that later. But, um, you know, I think one effort has been how to strengthen itself at home, whether it's militarily, technologically, economically, and so forth. So I think that there are a lot of efforts on that. And how much does that what kind of relationship does India need to get into with the other major powers, the major economies, including China, sometimes uh, to achieve those objectives? The second theme has been in the sort of near neighborhood, which is ensuring us a peaceful periphery, particularly with some of the smaller countries in South Asia and then just beyond. So Nepal, Bangladesh, Bhutan, Myanmar, Sri Lanka, Maldives. And, and these, are all, you know, these are all countries that are democratizing actually in their own ways, and, and, and that is leading to a different set of challenges in it as India engages with them. Uh, we've seen, for example, a greater Chinese role in all of these countries, whether it's political, economic, or military. So um, that remains a sort of major preoccupation and major challenge. Um, and while efforts have been made, for example, India and Bangladesh sorted out their boundary disputes in 2014-2015 very recently, there are still a lot of, with Nepal, for example, right now we, we have a sort of an uh, aggravated crisis uh, that India has to deal with. Um, similar on the, on the neighborhood side, there's a different set of problems or challenges related to Pakistan and Afghanistan. Um, with Pakistan, at, at least the, the Indian power disparity has increased in some ways, but it remains a major source of, you know, not just from a domestic political point of view, but, um, uh, you know, there, there still is an issue of uh, state-backed uh, terrorist groups that are operating across the line of control with India uh, and attacking Indian, um, in, recently it's been mostly military and police uh, facilities, but in the past it has been civilians as well. Um, so that, you know, and that, that is also very closely tied to Afghanistan as well and the situation there. So the Afghanistan-Pakistan uh, challenge in some ways focused on terrorism uh, remains another major preoccupation. A fourth area, I think, is the larger one, which is really uh, about the balance of power in the Indo-Pacific region, really driven by the rise of China. Uh, and that has now opened up more questions about, uh, for, for India, about you know, what to do about in uh, 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 Asia, a wider Asia, where China and is much more active as far as the Western Indian Ocean uh, and East Africa. Um, and so this has now necessitated collaborations with a whole new range of partners, the U.S. chief among them, but also Japan, Australia, Southeast Asia, um, and, and, and others as well. Um, so, uh, including actually traditional partners like Russia and France as well. So, so this, this I think is another, and the fifth and final one I'd say is um, uh, global governance. Um, so ensuring that India has a space and a voice at the global high table so that major decisions, at least it has a, a say in shaping major global decisions and whether that's at the United Nations or, or other international fora. Now, the, the one theme across all of these is actually China. Uh, so, uh, you know, whether it has to do with internal balancing, whether it has to do with the neighborhood, whether it has to do with Pakistan and China and Pakistan are very, have a very close relationship, uh, secure, security driven, but increasingly economic as well. Um, whether it has to do with global governance or, or the balance of power, it, it, China is, sort of looms is the common factor in all of them. And so in some ways you could actually summarize a lot of Indian uh, trends in foreign policy as really coming to terms with, with China's rise. As, as India has risen at a pretty healthy pace, China has outpaced India in, in, in what 
coming to terms with that is really the big challenge. Yeah, and, and I think that relates to also the other um, big relationship in that dynamic, which is the United States, right? Yeah. So United States is obviously very much focused at the moment on um, the questions that arises from China's uh, new position, something that has built up, it's been talked about, but I think the COVID-19 kind of has made that question much more immediate for a lot mm -hmm. of people. And obviously Trump administration does not shy away from raising escalation no. card and any, but also interestingly, Trump himself too, been to New Delhi, there has been a push for closer relationships um, between India and United States. And even in India, you see a lot more signs about the need for engagement with United States more. You already hinted at the quadruple kind of relationship between Australia and Japan and United States vis-a-vis -vis the question of China purchasing of U.S. attack helicopters, search and rescue helicopters, and etc. Um, do you see the China question drawing India closer to U.S. and the U.S. that alliance? Or again, is this going to be some sort of strategic balancing act where India will try to come closer to U.S but at the same time, really not burn bridges with China and hopefully not get stuck in this escalation between China and United States. Right. I mean, uh, I, you know, I don't think it's, it's so clearly either or. Uh, in some ways, this has been a challenge that India has seen coming, I mean, at least with China, since 1998. In fact, uh, China was given as one of the justifications for India conducting its nuclear tests in 1998. Uh, which was the, the concerns about that competition with China. But uh, I think a bigger factor was in 2005 when India and the U.S. entered into a civil nuclear agreement. It took three years to negotiate and, and finalize. But that really was, was driven in large part by both the India and the U.S. Uh, by, by concerns about China. Uh, and that basically uh, entering into a civil nuclear agreement would actually set the stage for a high technology and defense relationship between India and the United States, which would contribute to balancing against uh, a rising China. So, so I think that in some ways this was, this was long anticipated and China remains a driving factor in the India-US relationship uh, for, for, you know, I think quite clearly. Um, it's been complicated by a number of things. I mean, so, so on the one hand, you know, you have seen a pretty steady continuity. There have been some periods of acceleration from Bush to Obama to, to Trump. Uh, and you, know, you can't really say that about too many other relationships the U.S. Yeah. has. Uh, and, and similarly, there's been continuity on the Indian side from, from the Vajpayee government to Manmohan Singh to, to Modi, who's the current prime minister. But, um, uh, you know, I, I, despite that, I think, uh, you, you, um, I, I think you will very much see India acting outside, the, you know, what, what the U.S. has become very comfortable with, which is a sort of a hub-and-spoke alliance structure in Asia, which it, ha it has these... Cold War era relationships with Japan and Australia that are being revitalized. With India, it's a very different type of relationship. And I don't think um, the reason I think we'll shy away from seeing a sort of US India alliance per se is that I, at this point, I, I don't see India and the US wanting to commit uh, to um, supporting each other in their own tussles with, 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 um, uh, with China. What we will see happen, I think, are a few things. One is increasing information sharing, whether it's strategic assessments at the political level or intelligence assessments on a day-to-day -day level, and we're already seeing that happen. Uh, second is we'll see greater interoperability, so there are much more military exercises between the two uh, countries, but also they just signed, for example, a secure communications agreement. So we'll start seeing sort of real-time uh, you know, operational interoper uh, interoperability, particularly in the maritime domain uh, for, for first, but possibly in other domains as well. Um, and I think the third thing is, is help with capacity building. Uh, and this is more a one-way uh, thing, but, you know, India already uses at least eight major platforms uh, mm -hmm. from the, that it has acquired from the United States. 
um, and including things like P8I, uh, uh, maritime uh, reconnaissance aircraft, which are quite sophisticated. So, so you know, I think you will see these efforts uh, underway to help India um, help itself in some ways by the United States. Yeah, but India is always fascinating, Drew. I think, as you pointed out, it doesn't really want to go either or. I mean, it balances a lot of complex relationships at mm -hmm. the same time. And Russia is another interesting layer of this, too. Obviously, there's been already discussions about India purchasing S-400 missile systems and even, I think, some offers from Russia for new submarines. And, and right. there's always been some sort of amicable relationship, but actually, strategically, it's still ambiguous. And I'm not really sure what it is. But so do you think this China question, the US question, and the geopolitics and the direction of things um, is going to um, complicate the India-Russia relations or are we going to see um, Russia step in trying to again stir some of these tensions or mm -hmm. grow closer or, or actually be more cautious with India? So, you know, it, this is in some ways an old uh, defense relationship and it's really been driven by defense since, particularly since about 1959-1960. Um, in 1971, India and the Soviet Union signed a treaty of friendship, effectively making India a sort of ally of the Soviet Union in the, in the second half of the Cold War. Uh, during the 1990s, when Rush, the Russian economy tanked, uh, this was actually a big important source of revenue for Russia, which was arms sales to, to countries, and India was the largest buyer at that time. Uh, and remains the, the largest market for, for Russian exports, uh, defense exports. Um, so, you know, I think this is an old relationship, but what we've seen happen recently is in some ways on, on most major issues, you see India and Russia parting ways uh, and differing in their, their views on, on, on a lot of things. That being said, you know, in the, in the near term, I think we will have to see uh, some level of cooperation between India and Russia, at least for, from India's point of view, this is how they see it, for a few reasons. One is, Russia still provides very important spares and maintenance for existing platforms, including some of the frontline fighters that India has, Sukhoi 30s. Um, and and that's, that's sort of important to keep that relationship up. Uh, the second is they're able, they, they do provide some military equipment that others uh, don't. Uh, and for example, nuclear propulsion for submarines, nuclear attack submarines, which, which India leases from, from Russia. Um, the US, I, I don't see that on the cards in the near future. Uh, and that's very, you know, the, uh, India sees that as very important. The third is, I think there are real concerns about the Russia-China relationship be, becoming too close. And that, for that reason, you've seen, uh, for example, India be quite muted in its criticism of um, the Russian annexation of Crimea, for example, uh, because there is a desire to not be too different from China's position on, on some of those issues. Um, and uh, so, so, so I think, you know, for a combination of these, and I'd say a fourth reason, all those declining influences on some cooperation at the UN and, and, and other multilateral efforts. So for all these reasons, I think, we, you know, you, there is a desire by India on the, in the short term to maintain this, this relationship with Russia, or at least not make it a hostile or, or a difficult relationship. Um, but the larger forces, I think, are, are conspiring against that effort. And uh, it's also a very thin relationship. You, you know, trade is pretty negligible. It's grown a little bit in the last few years. The energy relationship is, is again, pretty modest. So I, I don't see, uh, you know, the, the longer term trends are, again, are, are in favor of, of India and Russia moving their own way. Uh, but in the short term, I think we will see these um, efforts at keeping things stable. 
Yeah, and one final question, Andrew, which you already mentioned at the start, which is the COVID-19 question, right? I mean, obviously, India has acted very quickly and took some certain measures. And I think the current kind of infection rate is almost half a million. Obviously, mm -hmm. it's got a very large population and very dispersed population. And a lot of domestic workers and others who went back to their kind of own um, homelands and mm -hmm. home states and you know, rural areas have possibly spread the virus more. Um, how is India coping with the reality of the, the lockdown and the pandemic? And what might this mean for the future of India's economic ambitions or domestic direction, if you like? Right, yeah. So I think we're in a very worrisome stage right now. Um, so, uh, you know, on the one hand, India took very early action in terms of travel restrictions, initially against countries like China and Italy and South Korea, but eventually completely uh, a complete travel ban, international travel ban, and then imposed a very early nationwide lockdown uh, compared to a lot of other countries when the number of reported cases was still quite low. Uh, this lasted in two phases. The, the, the third phase finally saw some gradual lifting of those restrictions. Uh, this was very unpopular, at the, or you know, it was, it was very controversial at the time because it seemed like the number of cases were very low. But I think the the good news is it may have kept it lower, at least de delayed um, uh, uh, what we saw as an outbreak. What we've seen now in the last few weeks is a real increase um, and a very worrisome increase, and this may continue for another few weeks, um, where we have almost fifteen thousand cases now, confirmed cases every day. Um, so basically, after the U.S., Brazil, and Russia, India is now the fourth has the fourth number of uh, highest number of cases. Fortunately, relatively few fatalities, uh, partly because it seems a youth, more youthful population, partly because of public awareness and, and things like that. Um, the lockdown uh, will actually have very severe consequences for the Indian economy. Um, this was at a time when it was a bit vulnerable to begin with, uh, but. Uh, you know, this is a largely consumer-driven economy. Um, the, um, uh, it's, it's been basically driven by investment and consumption. The, the manufacturing and export sector is still not as, uh, not as large. Um, but uh, I, I think it comes at a particularly vulnerable time for the Indian economy anyway. So we will see quite, quite likely the, the, a sharp contraction, at least for a quarter or two, uh, and possibly even for the full, full year. Um, so it really does put a dent on uh, uh, India's larger trajectory. The question is how how well can India rebound from this? Mm -hmm. And there will be, you know, there is some fiscal space and, and that's being used. Um, um, but uh, largely, I think this will be up to Indian industrial policy and whether if, if the government can set in motion a set of, uh, you know, uh, put in place a set of industrial policies now in the next year, uh, India may be, may be able to bounce back much better than many others. But I think uh, uh, a lot of intermediary steps remain before we can uh, ascertain that. Uh, thank you so much, Drew. This has been a very, very rich conversation with so much um, different sides of this, from history to border disputes to COVID-19 and India's um, foreign policy. Um, and thanks to everybody who watched us. And you can see more of these videos that we produce at www.chaser.org.uk. Thank you.